Hey guys, good morning. Check, check. Okay. We are going to be in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to go through the first 10 verses today. Today's sermon is called Jesus Destroys Philosophy. Jesus Destroys Philosophy. Next, well, let me go with it. Uh, I'll get into that in just one second. Let me, let me pray for us. So, God, I thank you for each and every person here, and I thank you that you uh, love us so much that you um, have given us your son. And Lord, we celebrate Jesus today. We celebrate what he did for us, dying on the cross for our sins, rising to show us that that, that uh, payment was accepted, and we love it, God. We, we receive it. It's a free gift to us, and we open it. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you work by giving and by um, making promises to us. And you don't require us to make promises to you or to, um, to be impressive or to be anything, really. You just love us. And God, I pray that we would, that that love that you give us would transform us as it sinks down into our hearts and helps us to uh, be whole like we've never been whole before, to be healed, to be cherished, and to be known and understood like we've never been before. We give our lives fully and completely to you for your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, today, Jesus destroys philosophy. Over the next three weeks or studies, that we're going to learn about three attacks to the gospel in Colossae that they were dealing with. But it's very applicable to three things that we are going to deal, be dealing with in our lives and three things we need to know how to handle. So this week, we're going to talk about philosophy, how Jesus destroys philosophy. Second, we're going to talk about legalism, how Jesus destroys legalism. So we'll be talking about that. Next week, and then the week after that, we'll be talking about how Jesus destroys carnality. You might not know what all those words are now, but by the end of three weeks, you will, and it'll be like a trail of bodies that Jesus has left behind just in his, in his wake of destruction. I'm excited about it. Okay, so first up is philosophy. Uh, what do we mean when we say philosophy? What I mean is Ideas or solutions that come from man. Ideas or solutions that come from man. So that's like when men have solutions to men's problems. Like, okay, we have a problem, so we need to figure this out. Uh, and these, these solutions can look good, okay? How many of you have taken a philosophy class? in school, college, or, yeah, and, and so they can look good, but they might not actually be truth, because a lot of philosophies are just theories. They are what I call man fixes, man fixes. Anything we turn to besides God's plan 
for salvation and transformation. So that's called the human condition. So in philosophy, there's something called the human condition where we need to know who we are and what our purpose for life is. That's the human condition. And furthermore, what we do with our sin. Well, men have tried to come up with all kinds of philosophies and fixes that we turn to instead of turning to God. But God's plan is always Jesus. That's his plan. That's his plan for saving you. That's his plan for transforming you. That's his plan for your future. That is always God's plan for you. Simply Jesus. So our side of that plan is humbly trusting Jesus. To have a relationship with Jesus where we say, Jesus, I need you. That's humility. And Jesus, I trust you. That's faith. Humility and faith. His side of that plan is doing everything that we need. His side of that plan is giving grace or giving mercy or providing for you. Everything that you could possibly need, Jesus wants to give you. So anything else we can add to Jesus or replace Jesus with is a philosophy that will be utterly obliterated today. Yes. Men are, cons- are consistently, constantly coming up with great ideas to fix our problems. It's like we're addicted to trying to solve everything ourselves. What am I going to do to get myself out of this predicament? What am I going to do to fix my marriage? What am I going to do to fix my kids? What am I going to do to my boss? We're constantly trying to come up with things. But we, I think we really believe we can just do it. And maybe Nike is to blame. I don't know. Um, but people are always coming up with really bad ideas, like leeches. You guys know that the pinnacle of medical and scientific research like a couple hundred years ago was that we should take all your blood out when you got sick. You can see on the screens, I think. Leeches are beautiful. (laughs) I tried to think of some leech jokes, guys, but they all sucked. So I'm going to give you, uh, let's see, besides leeches, I'm going to give you three or four bad ideas that people have had. Okay? You guys ready for this? Bad idea number one, lawn darts. You guys know in the late 1950s, there were several game manufacturers that uh, invented this outdoor game where uh, one player heaves a weighted foot-long metal-tipped dart skyward hoping to land and stick it in the middle of a plastic hoop placed at the feet of his opponent 20 feet away. 
Several decades, late, decades later, after more, more than 6,000 children had been injured and three killed by these weapons of destruction, uh, it goes down as one of the worst kid toys ever. Bad ideas, right? Bad ideas. Second bad idea that we've come up with. These are not necessarily philosophies, but they're just kind of funny. Uh, toads to the rescue. Okay, in 1935, in Australia... There, the sugarcane crops were being decimated by these hungry beetles, okay? So to save their, their farms, these uh, sugarcane farmers decided to import 102 toads from Hawaii uh, to scarf up the beetles, okay? But the important thing to know that they didn't know is that the beetles uh, liked to live on the top of the plants, and they were lightweight, and so uh, they lived on the top, and the, the toads were too fat and they couldn't get up to the top to eat the beetles, so they just lived on the bottom because these toads were the size of dinner plates and up to, like, six pounds. Um, so the beetles still ate the crops, and the toads, some of them grew over two feet in length and six pounds. Uh, they could live up to 35 years before croaking, and... Uh, and they ate virtually everything else inside. And females of these toads could produce 50,000 eggs per year, so they soon displaced rabbits as, the, uh, as Australia's biggest pest. So that was a bad idea. There's currently today over 200 million cane toads in Australia. And there's no end in sight. In fact, you get $50 per toad bounty if you would like to go kill toads in Australia. Anyone want to go? It's pretty good. <laughs> BK's like, yeah. All right, third bad idea. Poisoning President Lincoln. Have you guys heard of this? Okay, so President Lincoln suffered from depression. Okay? And one of the methods that doctors believed in and tried uh, was they gave him, what's it called? a pill called blue mass, okay? And they, they would do this sometimes, and what it was, it was basically just a pill with a whole bunch of mercury in it. So they would cause, it would cause, um, what they thought it was doing was flushing out irritants of the liver and brain that caused depression, but they were wrong, <laughs> Because upon taking the medicine, Lincoln sank into deeper depression and began exploding into uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic fits of rage. Uh, he had uh, memory loss, tremors, and other severe symptoms, like just looking like he was dead sometimes. Uh, so yeah, that was, a, that was a great idea. Not a great idea, right? Okay. One last one. This one's called It's Fine, Nothing to Worry About. In 1902, this guy, Luis Moutet, was running for re-election as the governor of St. Pierre, Martinique, a city who is basically on an island uh, at the foot of Mount Pele, Pelei, or I don't know how you say it, which was a volcano, okay? And he's running, and he was concerned about his re-election chances and the citizens were getting nervous because the volcano was starting to rumble, and many of them were, were starting to leave 
But he didn't want them to leave because the election was coming. So he wanted to win the election. So he insisted there was nothing to worry about. He issued an order for all citizens to ignore the volcano and stay put and vote for me. Can you guess what happened? (laughs) He won. Um, He declared that the city was the safest city around. And then the next day after the election, uh, the volcano exploded, and within minutes, 28,000 residents all died, including Mute. So, death can be the result of a bad philosophy. So that's why it's serious what we're talking about today. Your philosophy makes a difference and can have long-lasting effects on your life. So we're going to read a few verses to start out here in our text in Colossians. And it says here in in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you, Paul says, and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is really concerned about the hearts of these people. He's never even met these people but yet he loves them so much and he's very concerned about their hearts. And he knows how to encourage their hearts with the gospel. And he does it two ways here, okay? The first way that he does it is with the unity of love. That's how the gospel can encourage your hearts. Guys, are you ever down in the dumps? Has anyone ever struggled with depression? You don't have to raise your hand. But Gosh, we we need our hearts to be encouraged. And Paul knows what he's doing. He knows how to encourage people. And he says the number one way to encourage you is through the unity of love, which is in Jesus, not in any other philosophy. Jesus truly loves you. Jesus te ama. Solamente. And and that love, because he loves you and he loves me, That unites us more than anything else could, even though some of us cheer for the Broncos, some of us cheer for the thieves, Steelers, right? (laughs) Even though we, we are different languages and we have different passions, one thing unites us more than anything else in that that God looks at us and has forgiven us of our sins and loves us so very much. Look at the person next to you and say, you are God's beloved one. Now say, so are you. (laughs) We need to hear that. Doesn't that feel good to hear that you're loved by God? We need to hear that. We need to hear how much God loves us because we forget, we're very forgetful, And because Satan accuses us constantly of not being lovable, of not being worthy of that love, of not being, you know, good enough. Even though God doesn't say that. God says, when I look at you, I see Jesus. I don't look at your failures. I look at Jesus's victory. 
So, how, so Paul is helping them to fully understand this truth that they are loved, which is in Jesus, he says. He, he understands how everything works and what's needed in every situation, and God provides to us what we need in every situation by loving us. That's what we need, and that's the basis of our philosophy. Is not that we love God because we honestly stink at that. But God loves us. And that is the, the foundation of true philosophy that's going to help you. And the second thing he says, in whom... So the two ways that, God, uh, that, that Paul helps us, just to review, was the unity of love and to understand that truth. He wants, he wants them to understand that they're loved, and then he wants them to understand truth. And then the next part of the verse says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Mystery, you see that word mystery, and, the, and he uses the word hidden. Um, he used the word mystery in our text also. This doesn't mean that God is hiding truth away from us or hiding what we need away from us. What these words mean is that it's kept safe for you. It's reserved for you. It's kept, it's, it's, not kept secret or kept away from you. It's you'll know where to find it when it's needed. When do you need to feel loved? Man, that's a good question. I need to feel loved every single morning. Or else I wake up and I'm in a bad mood. I wake up and feeling like I have to prove myself to the world but God, he is there to help you to know that you are loved every single day. All we have to do is come to Jesus to know this love. With a humble heart and a trusting heart saying, Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, I trust you. You will know love like you have never known anything before because God will deliver you packages, fresh packages of his love into your heart. Like when HelloFresh shows up with their box of food. Oh, I love getting that delivery. I like cooking those. They're fun. And he calls this love riches and treasures. I love those two words because that shows that what Jesus gives you is more valuable than anything else. What do you have going on? That is more important. God says nothing. Nothing is more important than knowing how much God loves you, than experiencing that love and knowing the value that comes by knowing that you belong to Jesus, that you are his beloved and, and he is yours. All this is in Christ, Paul says. He holds everything that we lack and he shares everything that we ask for. Going on in the text, he says, now this I say. So this is why I'm saying this, Paul says. This is, you have to know God loves you. Jesus loves you. You have to understand it. This I say, why? Lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And this is where we start getting into the uh, um, philosophy part of it, okay? He calls it persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. 
Paul says, guys, I know all, everything is good in your church right now. We already know that Paul had heard from their pastor that they were doing good, that they trusted in Jesus. He says, but there's always a danger of deception, of being tricked. And that's what I got to warn you about. There's, uh, this is what Paul is warning them of. And, but they were steadfast in trusting Jesus, but someone was going to try to trick them away from trusting in Jesus. Guys, that is always the measure of what's good and right in your life. Are you actively trusting Jesus in that thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I finding the right house? Am I finding the right job? Am I doing good in my marriage? Am I doing good in my parenting? It's not about what you're doing primarily. I mean, obviously killing someone, that's not good, but... It's about, am I trusting Jesus in that thing? That's what measures a Christian. We're not measured by the things we do. We're measured by how we are trusting Jesus. That's how God is growing. He will grow you first to trust him. And then what you do follows naturally because of what you trust. So are we trusting Jesus? Or have we set up lives where we don't have to? Do we set up our lives so that we have everything under control and we don't have to trust in Jesus? I think that's what America is addicted to. That's a philosophy that has infected our whole country. Be self-sufficient. You don't need God. You don't need to trust him. And that, that is the opposite of the gospel. Because guys, trusting Jesus is hard. Why don't we work out? Because we're fat and lazy. No, just kidding. Because it's hard. It's difficult. And trusting Jesus is hard like that. It causes pain to work out, right? Doing push-ups and you feel it just rip and you're like, oh, this stinks. I hate it. Especially at the beginning. You guys know the first day of working out, oh, it's the worst. And then you go home that night and the next day you're like, oh, I feel like I can't walk. A relationship with God hurts at the beginning also. Trusting Jesus, living by faith in him, leads to a life that is steady and in good order, like Paul says about this church. He's like, I'm so happy for you guys because you guys are steady and you're in good order, and I can see that you are trusting Jesus because your lives have followed that. They look, they look good. You guys look good. And then he says this, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Guys, that's one of the most important verses in the whole Bible, especially for our world today. Why is this so important? He says, as you have received Jesus, so walk in him. You received Jesus, how? How? 
Yeah, by humbly trusting in him. That's all you did. When you started a relationship with God, you didn't climb a mountain and talk to a fat guy. You didn't accomplish some mighty feat. And you certainly weren't good. We were bad. And that's how we met Jesus. We had to give him all of that and say, I'm just going to humbly trust you. So I'm going to say, Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, I trust you. And that's how we began a relationship with God. That's how someone starts out with God or gets saved or born again or whatever you want to call it. It's all through that simple relationship with Jesus. And he says here in this verse, the so important part, he says, so as you received him, so walk in him. But so many believers have such a hard time. Okay, I've, I've come to know Jesus. Now what do I do? What does Jesus want me to do? So they start doing more things. They start serving in church. They start trying their best to be a good person. But that's not how they started with Jesus. So why is that how they're now trying to progress with Jesus or grow with Jesus? And it's a confusing thing because we're like, okay, maybe what I need to do now that I've become a Christian is slap up a picture of the Ten Commandments and just do my best to follow those. And that's never going to work because that's not how we started with Jesus. We started with Jesus by faith, by trusting him. And that's how he says we're supposed to walk with him. And then he uses two, um, two illustrations. He says, Jesus does the rooting of you, of your life. And that's establishing your life. So we were rooted in him. That's our foundation. And then he says, and Jesus does the building up, which means the he uses, a, uh, he uses a plant illustration, then he uses a building construction illustration, and he says he builds you up like building a building. That's growing your life. Jesus roots your life, establishes your life, and then he grows your life. What did you do? Nothing except humbly trust him each step of the way, and that's how simple the gospel is one of the most important verses. So the gospel is that we can just abound in that life of humbly trusting Jesus every day. And that life hurts sometimes. That life is difficult sometimes because you know why? I think I can add some good things to my life, but I'm wrong. I think I can do more or try harder. And if I don't try hard, then what am I doing anyway? But God says it's not about what you do. It's about me and what my son did for you. That's what will establish you. That's what will grow you. It will root you and it will build you. What he did for you. And that's why we celebrate Jesus every day. That's why I can't get enough of talking about Jesus and worshiping Jesus. Because that's what this is all about. Right, friends? Amen? Amen. Right. Okay, so we need, to, we need more of Jesus every day. We need more trusting Jesus every day. Well, how do I know if I'm doing it right? He says here, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Are you thankful for his grace every day? Or are you worried 
about what you need to do or what you haven't done? Are you simply thankful for all that Jesus has done for you today? Or are you stressed about what you need to do to impress God or to earn his favor or help? That's how you can test where you're at. God wants you to be able to just live confidently knowing that you are a dirty, rotten sinner who he loves unfairly. He loves you when it's not fair. He loves you so much, you don't deserve it. He wants you to be so confident in that that you give him thanks for it even when you don't feel it, even when it's hard to believe. He loves you in that way. He wants you to give thanks for it. He says, so walk in him. That's how the gospel works. Walk in what Jesus has already done. Walk in him. He doesn't say you have to run. He's describing your everyday walk, what steps you take every day. What am I doing today? What direction am I going? I am doing what I'm doing because of what he did. That's how we make our decisions. That's how we live our whole lives. Why do I pray for my spouse? Why do I pray for my boss? Why do I love my neighbors? Why do I love my enemies? It's because I'm walking in him. And he explains to me that he loves them. I want to walk in him every day. I thought this was going to be a warning about false philosophies, this sermon today. Yes, it is, but we have to understand the truth before we can recognize the lies. So that's what we've been doing so far. We've just been learning the truth. You know how they teach bank workers to recognize counterfeit money? It's not by showing them false money. It's by showing them the real thing. And they, they, they teach them what the real thing looks like and then when the false one comes across their desk, they're like, it's this trash. They recognize it instantly. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's teaching us the real thing, what real uh, Jesus is. And so then when we see the false things, it's easy to recognize. He says this, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So here's the big, big warning, guys. Man's solutions or philosophies, Paul says, are lies. If it came from man, it's not true. Boom. He calls it empty deceit. Paul just dunked on him. Why? He says, because man's philosophies are based on two ways of thinking that just don't work. The first, he says, is that they are according to the traditions of men. According to the traditions of men. That, that means that they, they that's, that's the way we've always done things. You know, smarter people than you have figured out how things work, so you just need to do what they say. That's what they tell you in school. Romans had their polytheism for thousands of years. They worshipped all these gods. 
Jews had their law. This is just how you know God, how you walk with him. Greeks had their many philosophies. Americans have our individualism. These are philosophies that are, Paul says, empty lies. China has its honor culture and hard work and communism. More specifically, what these philosophies are saying is that you, your meaning and your value can be found outside of Jesus. Anything. Paul says it's empty deceit. It's according to the traditions of men. Be a good person is one of their main ones. Be a good countryman. Be a strong person. That's what gives you value. Search out what you're missing from life in this world by all these different experiences or philosophies. So the first thing that he says is, according to the traditions of men, what people have just always thought. The second thing Paul says doesn't work is when philosophies are according to the basic principles of the world. That means this is just the way that the world works. And what he means by this is when he says, you get what you deserve. That's what, how our world works, guys. You get what you deserve. Your hard work will be rewarded. That's what they thought. A lot of people in our world, that's what they think. Well, if I'm a good person, God will like me. Well, how good do you have to be? Better than Hitler. That's God's standard, people will say. If you're better than Hitler, then God will like you. And that philosophy is a lie because God's standard isn't Hitler. God's standard is what? Jesus or perfection. That's good. He wouldn't be God if his standard was less than perfection. He'd be second place God. But God is perfect, and so his standard must be perfection. And so we are in deep trouble. But the philosophy of the world says, well, well, well hey, if you just try hard, you're going to get something back. If you work hard, you'll get more money. And that is how the world works. Teenagers, you work hard, you will get, you'll do good, okay? You want to work hard. Working hard is important. But that's not how God works. That's not how spirituality works. Just try hard and you'll work it out. Chase your dreams. Follow your heart. Have you heard these things? Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Lies. Guys, lies. It's up to me to accomplish something great, the world says. That may be how the world generally works, but not God. God works completely different. Paul says the difference between that and God is that that's how the world works, but God works through Jesus, which is different. With Jesus... Guilty people get to go free. That is good news. Guilty people receive free mercy and grace. That is good news for bad people. Those who work hard and try harder are left outside with Jesus. That's how grace works. 
God is unfair because he does not work the way that the world works. He gives grace to undeserving people. Anyone who will admit, I am broken. I don't deserve help. I, I, I am bankrupt in sin. God says, you get everything. But the person who says, I'm better than fill in the blank, that person doesn't get anything from God. In fact, they're shut outside of his kingdom. Well, at least I'm better than Hitler, so I've earned God's favor. And when God brings me into heaven, he'll say, yep, you were better than Hitler. Come on into heaven. Guys, that's not his standard. That's not the way it's going to work. God always works through Jesus. He's unfair. He gives hope to those who have no reason to have hope. And he rejects those who think they deserve respect. Isn't that crazy how God works? Now, if you're prideful, this is bad news. Because you're like, well, I am better than people. And God's like, let's talk later. But for those of us who know that we are guilty and know that we are sinful, this is incredibly good news, and that's why the gospel is called the good news. The word gospel means good news. So these philosophies are anything that's not according to Christ. Anything does not, that does not accord with Christ, God says, is false. It's wrong. It's literally trying to deceive us out of the riches of his grace that we can find in Jesus. Now, if a philosophy was trying to trick you out of something, I would want to warn you. If I had a friend that was going to try to steal all of your money in your bank accounts today, I would try to warn you, and he would not be my friend. He'd be my enemy. I would try to warn you. I don't want you guys to be ripped off, and I don't want your stuff to be stolen, what rightfully belongs to you. And what God has given you through Jesus is riches and treasure beyond anything you could imagine. And someone is trying to steal it from you. That's bad news. Be extremely careful what philosophy is being shoved down your throat. Public schools, ooh, don't get me started. There's some philosophies there, but it's on TV, but a lot of them just come from our own, our own minds. We get messed up. Does your philosophy point to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, or does it give you something to do, or something you got to know, or something to accomplish? There was this book, and it later became a movie called The Secret. You guys heard of that? And it's basically the power of positive thinking. If you just think positively, everything will work out beautifully in your life. The only problem is that sucks and it's wrong. And it doesn't point you to Jesus. It points you to yourself. It says you find salvation in yourself. Tell me how that goes for you. You will never need anything except the grace of Jesus and his love. 
Guys, if you didn't hear anything I've said all day, just hear that. You will never need anything except the grace of Jesus and his love. Third time, just to be sure, you will never need anything except the grace of Jesus and his love. Why? Then the last verse we look at, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means everything God is, is in Jesus. And and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So all that God could ever be is contained in Jesus. All that God could ever give is given through Jesus. All that God has ever required is supplied by Jesus. All that God thinks of you is defined by Jesus. Not even your own sins. Not even your own mistakes. God doesn't define you by how you failed. God doesn't define you by what you want or what makes you happy. God defines you by Jesus. You are his beloved or you are currently rejecting his son and he, in his love, is pursuing you. Those are the only divisions. The children of God who have accepted Jesus and those who have yet to accept Jesus. You'll never, you'll, you never need to understand anything except Jesus to really know God. And in him, you will have all that you could ever need and so much more. Never let a philosophy cheat you out of the all-sufficient grace that is in Jesus. And that's it. That's our, our entire sermon today. Look, I got you out before the Bronco game. How about that? That one's for free. It's 11 a.m. on the dot. <laughs> All right, guys, next week we're going to, um, in addition to our normal time, I'm going to um, be walking through a really neat app with you guys for your phones. It's called the Life on Mission app, and I encourage you to download it to your phone, Life on Mission. It's going to have three circles on it, and it's going to teach you how to share the gospel using the three circles method. Uh, I really love it. We I had a video, but I don't want to do it today. So next week, at the end of the service, I'm going to show you guys a video and teach you guys how to use this app on your phone. So the three, Life on Mission, there's a Spanish version as well. Uh, help, help them find that, Jesus. Life on Mission. And you can look through it. You can watch the videos yourself too, but uh, just have that downloaded on your smart device next week, and then we'll talk about it. All right, guys? You with me? All right, let's all stand up. We're going to, Jared's going to come up, and Jared also is going to come up. Jarrett and Jared, and they're going to lead us in the time of responding to what Jesus has uh, told us today, that he is enough for you, that he loves you, so we're going to pray. There's communion available. If you want to celebrate what Jesus has done, Jesus always invites you and encourages you, and, and he says, whenever you can, celebrate what I have done for you. Our philosophy is Jesus loves us unconditionally, undeservedly, and it's amazing. And so um, we celebrate that by eating a little piece of bread and drinking a little bit of juice because that represents his body and his blood that were freely given to us and teaches us so much. We'll talk more deeply about that sometime soon. Um, There's pumpkins. You guys know about the pumpkins? 
lots of pumpkins. So everyone take some pumpkins because we have them, and they're awesome. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, and I thank you that you, we don't have to be experts in every philosophy because we can be an expert in you. We know that you're there for us when we wake up in the morning with no I told you so's, no condemnation. You're there for us in the evening when we've made a mess of our day and we've screwed it all up. Jesus, you are so faithful. You never condemn us and you washed us free of all sin and shame and guilt. And Jesus, you invite us deeper every day to know you to worship you and find the meaning of our life in knowing you. God, there's, there's so much going on in the hearts of all these precious, precious saints. There's so many things that have hurt us deeply. God, I pray you'd help us to come to your feet, to lay those things down before you and to receive your healing your love, your spirit. And if there's anyone here today that just knows that they have been running from you, that they've been searching for value or meaning in other relationships first, in other things, God, I pray that there would be a sweet homecoming right now. God, that we would simply pray, I'm, I'm sorry. I've been out doing things on my own. I've been hoping others would satisfy my need for love. And it's all been a lie. God, pour out your love into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. Wash me clean with your blood, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit, and I want to do your will. I want to know you more than anything else in my life. God, the world can be so distracting. But you are perfect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord. Sure. 